Reiki. Have you heard of it? Do you know about it? Or are you more like me wondering what the heck that is? Today, we talk to Meg Burton Tudman, holistic health coach and Reiki master. And y'all are going to want to listen closely because Meg has a superpower, and that is holding space for burned out women. Now, of course, I had to ask, how does one get into Reiki? And I had an inkling that her sticky floors just might be what led her there. And guess what? I was right, but that isn't what's important here. What is important here is Meg's journey. And in today's episode, Meg shares with us not one, but two sticky floors. One of having her identity completely wrapped up in who she was at work. And that came to a fiery crash when she was let go. And the other is one that is near and dear to my heart, mental health. So turn up that volume because you are listening to the podcast from now to next the podcast that empowers women to get seen, get heard, and get promoted. I'm your host, Erica Rooney, and I've made it my mission to help you break free from the sticky floors, those limiting beliefs and toxic behaviors to bust through the glass ceiling. I'm obsessed with all things growth and abundance, and I'm here to talk you through the tried and true secrets to get you to level up your career and your life. We talk about the hard stuff here, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, fear, and burnout, So pull up a seat, pop in an earbud, and let's dive in. Today's guest, Meg Burton-Tudman, is the first of its kind for the podcast today, y'all. She is a holistic health coach and a Reiki master, and she is so good at what she does. So Meg and I recently connected through a mutual friend, and I actually was able to participate in one of her Reiki workshops. So when I tell you that she's good, y'all, I can actually speak to it. But Meg, I am so pumped to have you here. Welcome. Erica, thank you so much. It's such a joy. I'm really excited about our conversation today. Oh, me too. Well, let's kick this off. Tell me a little bit about you. Who are you and how did we get to become a Reiki master? Yeah. So I am, as you mentioned, a holistic coach and also a Reiki master. My sweet spot is holding space for burned out super women. And I do that by helping them align their mind, body, and soul so they can live a life that they love. Mm. And having been on both sides of that spectrum of both alignment and living a life I love, this work is such a passion of mine and such a joy. And Reiki has been a thread through my whole journey um, before I even knew what it was. I love that. So tell me, exactly what is Reiki? Because I did the workshop. I loved it. I felt amazing after it. But like, what is it? Yeah. So at at the very simplest, it is the purest form of love and light. Mm. So you can think of it as conscious energy healing, whereby a practitioner, in our case, that was me, or a healer, also me, is transferring energy from a higher source to you, the recipient only that highest level of love and light, like the highest vibes, think of it that way, are transferred. And what's cool, I think, is that it's not the healer's energy. So you're not getting my energy. If I happen to be having an off day, that's not going to be transferred to you. Again, that's coming from a higher source. And that higher source can be whatever resonates for you. So you might think of it as the universe. You might think of it as like pure light and love. You might think of it as God or something of that nature. 
what's important again is that it it resonates and it has meaning for you. So something bigger than you and me in this human form on this particular timeline that we find ourselves on today. And one of the things I think is so cool because I teach Reiki as well is that there's so much intention involved in it. So I, as the healer, will set the intention to give Reiki energy for the highest self, your highest self. And then I would invite anybody who's receiving it to also set an intention to receive Reiki for their highest selves. I love that. And I was writing down the word intention and circling that as you were talking, because for me, I know I struggle sometimes with the intentionality with presence. And so Mm -hmm. does being present really kind of center around this practice as well? Yes, absolutely. I think in terms of both people involved, right? The person giving and the person receiving, I find that for me as a healer, it's really helpful to have a consistent meditation practice because that brings me into that present moment that helps me develop that skill. And it's a skill, right? Like our brains are made to think, our minds are made to like bebop around, so to speak. And so having those moments consistently where we're practicing taking a pause noticing that space between stimulus and response, noticing our thoughts. It's not as if we're going to quiet the mind and have no thoughts. I don't think that happens for any of us, but I think we try to make it happen maybe when we're newer to meditation because we think that's the point. It's not though. I think the point is more to practice that pause, bring that presence in and start to develop that skill so that we can not only be present, be in this moment, but also make choices to respond rather than react. Okay. I'm glad you said that because as someone who believes that they really suck at meditation, no one sucks at meditation. I'm always like, (laughs) don't think anything, Erica, don't think anything. And so when you're like, that's not the point. I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing it wrong. Well, and how frustrating, right? To like, try to do a practice that we hear so much about, we think is supposed to be so great for us. And then to feel like we're failing or we're not doing it right because we can't stop our thoughts. (laughs) Like that's awful. It's a terrible experience. And I'll share a story too. I've been meditating for a long time, but when I first started, I felt miserable. I was just like so uncomfortable in my body, felt like I couldn't stop my thoughts. It felt like it was a useless practice. And for a little while was like, this is baloney. This doesn't work at all. Like, I don't know who all of these experts are, you know, who are saying that this is so great, but this is terrible. And what I realized was that I actually was always in that state of feeling really miserable, really unfulfilled, really unhappy. But it was only when I paused and tried to meditate that I noticed that. Mm. So it wasn't that meditation didn't work. It wasn't that meditation was making me feel worse. It was instead meditation was a tool or a means to help me identify and acknowledge, oh, here is how I'm feeling. And I'm actually feeling that way pretty regularly. So now that I have that gift, that awareness, that presence, now what can I do to try to heal that and 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 live in a different way? Wow, that's really powerful because those are all the emotions that we always try to suppress and we yes. don't want to face. Yes. Yeah. So hard. So worth 
but difficult. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your story in becoming a Reiki master. How did this yeah. come to be? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go back a ways and then I'll get specific as far as Reiki goes. I, we chatted a little bit before we started recording today and you were asking about sticky floors. And I feel like I have two, one prof- professional and one personal. And from a professional standpoint, I was fired from a job that I initially thought was my dream job, not so much at the end, but for sure in the beginning, I was like, this is it. I found it. And being fired, I was totally blindsided. Mm. I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed. I actually stayed a week and a half after they fired me to wrap everything up. And I did that for two reasons. One, I was super dedicated. But two, I thought that it would soften the blow. And I thought, well, nobody needs to know that I was fired. If I stay a little bit longer, I can kind of continue to weave this narrative that, you know, I'm a good girl. I'm perfect. I'm doing all the things. And um, it was interesting because this this opposing feeling of feeling ashamed, feeling um, like a failure, feeling like, you know, I had made some kind of mistake or wrong decision along the way. And at the same time, I also had this fleeting, but it was strong enough where I noticed it and felt it. And I'm sure meditation helps with that too, where I noticed this element of freedom. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't have to try to like cram myself into this box define myself by something that really doesn't fit anymore. And I can choose to do something that, you know, brings me passion, that brings me joy, that does truly feel aligned. So I took a lot of responsibility to figure out how I wanted to define myself and what made sense in terms of, you know, from a professional standpoint, what are the roles that really fit, not just what are the roles that I'm really good at? And, and it took me a long time to learn that lesson that just because we're good at something doesn't mean that we're meant to do that or that that's the only option for us. It just mm. means that's a skill that we have. Mm, I think that's so powerful. And I think it's, it's very commonplace for a lot mm-hmm. of people probably, because if you're yeah. good at something and it comes naturally, you continue to do it. And, and we yes. never really take that moment to stop and ask ourselves does this even make me happy? Do I even right. enjoy doing this? Right. Right. You know, I'll use myself with HR, right? I've been in HR for 15 years. I mm-hmm. can fire somebody really well. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I skill. don't enjoy it. I do <laughs> not enjoy it, you know, but yeah, it is a skill. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a very great point and really good advice for anyone out there to really sit back and wonder, like, is this something that I enjoy? Yes. Yeah. And, and to look at it too, I would encourage anybody who's in, you know, that particular season or who has that opportunity to look, to look from a place of curiosity and compassion rather than a place of judgment. Like you you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't made, you know, the wrong choice or, you know, invested in like an incorrect way. Instead, you're kind of like taking stock of where am I right now? And, you know, in this particular moment in my life, what does bring me joy? Where do I, you know, have passion to direct energy and focus? And and does my current role allow for that? Is there something I could pull in that would feed that? Or am I ripe for a new opportunity? Mm. 
What I find really interesting about that statement is you talk about the curiosity. And I think that's such a big piece of it because as you said, you felt shame, you know, you Mm -hmm. were embarrassed and those are natural feelings, but it can be very hard to separate from, you know, the shame and embarrassment to look at it with a lens of curiosity. And I'm interested, how did you do that? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I had some really great support around me in terms of family and friends. Um, I also was open to doing the inner work and I, and at the same time gave myself space, like to feel those feelings of, you know, failure and of, you know, shame and, and everything else that was coming up. Um, and tried as best I could, because this is a, a practice for all of us, but tried to do it from a place of compassion and curiosity. And so I tried not to like bury those down. And, you know, for sure there was, you know, a lot of crying. There was a lot of frustration. Um, I think what, what worked in my favor was that I also was open and aware that this could be a gift, mm. that this wasn't, you know, being open to like weaving a new narrative for myself, that this actually wasn't a failure that, you know, I made great choices. I did great work. I, you know, had great connections and this was an opportunity to switch paths, but it didn't negate anything that came before it. And it didn't mean that anything before it was a waste or that I like shouldn't have done it that way. Yeah, that's very powerful because I think all of us, especially anyone who's listening, we've all been through a great piece of change or a struggle or something like that that has kept us stuck. Right. To be able to really do that inner work, to put that lens of curiosity on kind of separates you from yourself almost a little bit enough to get in and do the work. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful pieces of that whole experience, and I work with clients a lot on this, is starting to dive into the stories that we tell ourselves, like the narratives that we that we weave around who we are and looking at, at things in terms of, is this my voice or is this somebody else's? Like, did I pull this from childhood or did I pull this from someone who had some kind of formative impact on me. Is this my value? Is this my belief? Is this true for me now? Hopefully we're always growing and changing and evolving. So we shouldn't be the same person that we were X number of years ago. And so it's okay if something no longer feels like it aligns and no longer feels good. And so to get curious about like, what's the story that I'm telling myself about myself? And is it true? And is it mine? So I've got a question for you. When you think back to this moment of being fired, what was the hardest part about that for you? Oh gosh. I, so much of it was so hard. I think that the hardest part at that time was that I defined myself completely by my work and nothing else even though you know i put energy and time and effort into other things the value that i assigned myself was purely in relation to the work that i did and how did you move through that yeah i again a lot of inner work 
from a mindset standpoint and also from an energy standpoint and trying to figure out where are the blocks energetically throughout the body? Where are the blocks like mentally in terms of, again, that story, that value, that definition? And is that how I want them to be? Mm. And is there space for me to, to work through that and to, to tease that out a little bit so that that's not all I am. Yeah. So now that we've done this work, when you think about how you assign value to yourself, how does that show up now? Oh, I love that question. I try to take a really holistic look at it. And I also try to anchor into, and this is true for everybody listening, not just me, that we each have inherent value, that we don't have to be or do or have anything differently, that each of us, like in our heart of hearts, as we are, we are valuable and we matter and we make a difference. And I think it can be so easy to get caught up in you know, what is my title or what is my income or even like, what's my zip code or what kind of car do I drive? Or, you know, what is my like social status or even relationship status? And look at those external things as a way to define our value and our worth. And it's, I think it it took a lot for me to get there and to be able to say like I am inherently worthy that it's these external things not that they don't matter because certainly they impact the life that we live right but they don't matter in terms of am I valuable as a human being that we all inherently are valuable no matter what yes and we have a mutual friend Diane Wingard, who was on the podcast earlier this love her this season. Yes. And she talks about um, converting to Buddhism and how in Buddhism, there is this whole idea of not having attachment, attachment to careers, self, things, relationship. And when you can separate your attachment, you know, you no longer have that, that's when you're truly free. And I think that's such a great way to look at you know, being fired from a job, you know, Mm -hmm. because all of these things could be gone in an instant. Yeah, exactly. Right. And who are we if those things, you know, disappear or are taken away or, you know, leave or are gone, however it happens, who are we then? Who are we? What a powerful question. Yes. That's a good one to explore. (laughs) Yeah. What is this second sticky floor you speak of? Yeah. The second sticky floor. So since I was a kid, I struggled with pretty severe depression and anxiety and was really, really skilled at hiding it and, you know, functioning and achieving at a really high level. So very few people knew that that was an internal struggle that was happening for me. And this worked for a really long time. Well, worked, I guess, in quotes. It was it was manageable <laughs> for a really long time. And I happened to be at a four-way stop one day with a blinking red light and got to the light and couldn't for the life of me figure out when it was my turn to go. And I had this moment of, I mean, one, panic because I was driving. Um, but two, I thought, oh boy, this is like extending into other areas of my life where I like, I can't think clearly. Um, and that was a, a major red flag for me because I'd never experienced 
that type of, of symptom before. And so I invested in a really significant outpatient therapy program and was terrified to do that kind of work, especially in a group setting. And at the same time, I walked in the door to the facility on the first day and I felt like this weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. And I thought to myself, I can take off all of the masks. I can show up here like exactly as I am, as like broken as I was feeling. Um, not that I was broken, right? We're, we're inherently whole and worthy, um, but I felt that way. And there was such a freedom and such a release in giving myself permission to show up authentically, to drop that like perfectionist facade and to just work on feeling whole and healing. And, and that work was absolutely transformative, difficult, right? Like that, any, any of that inner work, whether it's mindset or energy or therapy or, you know, any of that where you're really looking inward and taking responsibility for yourself is challenging. And yet it's also such a gift. It's such an opportunity to really figure out, you know, who am I right at my core? Who do I want to be? And, and what are the necessary thoughts and beliefs and actions that can support that? Mm. Here's what I want to explore here. And maybe it could be yeah. a better safe topic for my therapist. I don't know. But <laughs> when I think about this, like I am such a proponent of therapy. I'm like, everybody needs a therapist. Me everybody too. go get a therapist. Yet when I needed to go get one was when I was like, nope, can't do it. Not going. I don't yeah. need that. You know, yeah. why do you think we do that to ourselves? Oh boy. I think there's probably a few reasons. I think that there, for as far as mental health has come, I think there really still is a stigma against that. And I think there is right. Like kind of an element of maybe shame, maybe embarrassment, maybe just uncertainty because we don't talk about it a mm. lot. I, again, I think it's better and it's coming. Um, but I think there's a ways to go before like in general, people are comfortable seeking that kind of support. I also think, and I say this with all of the love in my heart, I think that there is too an element of like ignorant bliss and it's like, well, I, I know what I know right now, and it may not be ideal and it may not feel great, but at least I know if I start to like peel away, you know, layer after layer, who knows what's going to come up. And I think like one of the dirty secrets about therapy, and I think coaching is the same. When you start to do that inner work, like it doesn't end. There's not like a finish line, right? There's always something else to get curious about and explore. And, you know, it may be vastly different from the initial situation that brought you to that expert. Um, but we hopefully are always growing and we're, and we're always like transforming ourselves and, and we're always expanding. Um, and, and so I say that, you know, not to like scare anybody off who is kind of like teetering on, you know, do I invest in a therapist or any other kind of support like that? But rather as like, this is a good thing. Like it, it's, it's okay that it's 
going to be a lifelong journey and it's not going to be the same. You know, the, the challenges that you face are not going to be the same. And I think more of the inner work that we can invest in and do when those situations either repeat themselves or come up again, we've got this whole new set of skills. So we're not the same person we were beforehand. Um, I also think, and this is true, especially for women, it's really hard for us to ask for help. Like we have this idea that we have to do it all on our own and that, you know, we can't, we can't like outsource or, you know, backfill or ask anybody else for support on this journey. And I, one of the things that I think is often misunderstood about inner work is that you don't have to do it alone. Yes. It requires you to take responsibility. Yes. It requires you to show up for yourself, but it's not like a solo journey. You can absolutely have someone else or even a team of people supporting you through that. Yes. Community, build that community around you and let that therapist be a part of your community. (laughs) There is no shame in what I will tell you when I worked through that sticky floor of mine of not wanting to ask for help. I think that's absolutely spot on (laughs) how I was feeling. I didn't want to face the failure that I needed a therapist air quote, Mm -hmm. uh, I now have like this person in my corner who always has my back, who checks me on a regular basis if I'm out of line Mm -hmm. and allows me to explore all of those areas, which I just, I think is super cool. It Uh, is so cool. What a gift, right? To have somebody in our corner who has our back, like unequivocally, no questions asked. They're always going to have your back and they're also going to continue to push you. Like that balance is invaluable. Yep. And if you're here, it's because you like to grow. You like to continue to grow. So that's what a therapist is helping you do. Yes. All right. My therapy soapbox is over. (laughs) My plug (laughs) for a therapist is over. But get yourself a good therapist. Mm -hmm. So I bet I would I would put some money on this one, Meg, that your sticky floors led you to where you are today being a holistic health coach. Is that what happened? That is absolutely what happened. I happened to have coffee with a dear friend of mine who was also a health coach at the time. And she was telling me about the program and training that she went through. And she said, you know what, Meg, if you do this, you're going to have to go through all of your own stuff. You're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to like grow and heal and, you know, do all of the inner work. And she said it in such a way that I would have signed the dotted line right then. And I, I didn't look into any other programs <laughs> when she told me about hers and, and explained, you know, what was required of the participants. I said, I'm in, I'm, I am ready for that opportunity. I am ready for that kind of insight and that kind of growth. And so, um, started on that path from a coaching standpoint and, and have never looked back. And from an energy standpoint, one of the things that I realized um, was, and this was true for me as well as for my clients, we could be doing like all the things, air quotes again, right? Like all of the things that we know are supportive for us. And that might mean meditation. It might mean healthy eating. It might be a specific kind of movement. It might be, you know, the job or the partner, you know, whatever it is that's going to support us. And if we've got energy blocks throughout the body, those quote unquote, right things are going to appear not to work. And it's not that they're wrong or bad in any way. It's that we've got energy that's stuck in the body 
that can't move. So those those great investments in terms of time and energy and focus aren't able to work as well as they could if those energy blocks throughout the body were healed. So I had an experience with Reiki. I was in a yoga class as a participant and the teacher gave Reiki at the end, a quick little hit, probably less than a minute per person. And I felt this like tingling throughout the body. I felt a sensation of warmth. I had never experienced anything like it and went up to her after class and was like, what was that? (laughs) I want to know more. And um, she explained to me what Reiki is. And um, I ended up going through the same training that she went through and, and much like coaching, you know, have never looked back. I think the mindset and the energy piece together are really, really powerful and and doable for us. I think, and I'm sure this is true for so many of the women listening, I think that it, we're so busy. We do have a lot of demands on our time. And so being able to make small shifts that have a big impact is so much more sustainable than trying to like pull the rug out from underneath ourselves and like do a 180 and do everything differently. It's really hard to one, do that initially, that kind of change is really difficult, but it's also really hard to sustain that. It's like, it's too much, but if we can start to like block by block, step by step, build these rituals and these habits and these new beliefs and kind of like wire in new thoughts, that is a place where we can thrive. And that is a place where we can really, you know, start to create again, a life that we love and, and that balance and alignment that can help support us with everything that we're doing. So when you're working with these burned out super women, which yeah. I love that. Thank well, you. I don't love that, but I love the term. Same. <laughs> they same. resonate. Yeah. What are the things that you do to start helping these women put, I guess, these micro habits into place? Yeah. The first step I think with just about everybody is an awareness. So what are your deep rooted beliefs? You know, often if we haven't done that type of introspection, if we haven't done that type of exploration, we actually have no idea where the belief came from, or sometimes no idea that it's even something that we're like holding close. And so getting curious about, you know, what are your values? What are the things that you believe? And again, like we talked about earlier today, are those in line with how you feel today? Do they represent you in this moment? And if they don't, there's no judgment or criticism, especially, you know, based on wherever they came from, right? Like there's no, you know, shaming like the parents or the teachers or whoever it was that kind of instilled that belief within us. Instead, it's a curiosity of, well, yeah, I see that. Oh, I understand where that came from. And oh my goodness, no, that's not me right now. That doesn't align anymore. And so what's the shift once you have that awareness? Okay, that actually doesn't align. That doesn't feel so good anymore. So what is my new belief? And then how can I start to cement that new belief in? So what are the actions that are required to have that belief be strong and to override or crowd out the actions that the old belief was, was connected to. Mm. What I think is paramount to understand with this too, is that 
it's okay if those things change over time. Yes. You do not have to commit to a lifetime. And like, this is a very light and fluffy example, but like before I had kids, my priorities and my values were different. Of course. That's okay. Now yes. that's very different. I've got two little kids and doing all these other things. What people hold, they hold on to those things for so long, like a death grip. Like if they mm -hmm. lose sight of it, it's just everything that they ever know is going to fall apart. How do you get women to kind of move past this? Like I may be in a different place right now. Oh, I love that question. I think that uh, twofold. One, it reminds me of the conversation that you and Diane had about releasing attachments. Mm. So what is the attachment that you have to one, how something or someone should be? And what is the attachment that you have to the outcome? Well, we always do it this way, or this is, you know, always how it's expected to be. And is there space there to loosen that grip? Can you, can you let go and be more present focused rather than more future focused? Um, and that's a practice. And I mean, that's one that I still regularly have to be mindful of and practice in order for it to work for me and support me. Um, the other piece I think is almost weaving in an element of like opportunity or even dare I say like excitement or even fun that it's okay to redefine yourself that you don't have to be the same, you know, little girl you were when you were five. You also don't have to be the same woman you were, you know, a year ago at last week, even that it's okay to redefine what matters to you. What's important to you. It's okay to like direct energy and focus to other, other things, other opportunities. And this takes the pressure off, I hope, a little bit. But one thing that I'm really big on is let it be an experiment. So like test and learn. I'm going to try this. You know, I'm going to go in wholeheartedly, but it might just be like a toe in. And I'm going to see, you know, what happens, you know, if I honor a boundary or if I make a different choice or if I, you know, prioritize something differently today. What does that empower and enable me to do moving forward? And if it doesn't work, that's okay. Like if it's, if it doesn't work, give yourself permission to let it go. And that's easier said than done for sure. But you're the only person who can give you that permission, right? You're the only one who can say to yourself, I tried this, you know, I gave it my all. It didn't work for me. I'm going back to the drawing board not back to square one because I've got all of these new skills and strengths that I've developed over the course of my life. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to reevaluate and I'm going to test something new. And if that works, great. I may figure out how to amplify that. And if it doesn't work, that's great too, because that's one less thing I have to focus on. I know that that's not for me. I love how you put all of these actions into very small steps, bite-sized yeah. chunks that people can do because they can fit that into their lives. Right. Like that is probably the biggest misconception is people think I have to have this huge overhaul of my life. I've got to start doing the Reiki. I've got to start doing the yoga and drinking the green juice and going to therapy now too. Gee, <laughs> where do I find the time? Right. Right. Yeah. So I think, 
when you approach it from that, like test and learn and that element of experimentation that allows you the awareness, this works for me. So there's a reason I'm doing it, right? I'm not doing it because it's somebody else's agenda or priority. I'm not doing it because it's what I've always done, but instead, oh, I see, I've got evidence stacked up behind me. When I do this, it creates this for me. And that's really powerful. Yeah. What's also powerful is you can do this, not just in your personal life, but in your career and in your job and in your role, you know, maybe you're a people leader and you don't want to be a people leader anymore. I don't know, but you can apply it to so many places. Yes. Yeah. I think it can be so easy for us to like silo ourselves. We're like, oh, I'm only good at such and such in my personal life, or I'm only good at that, you know, professionally. And we're, you're a whole being, you're this whole, like amazing human. And so trying to figure out, okay, these are the skills and the strengths that I have in this one area. How can I apply them to another? You know, I really enjoy doing this particular thing. Is there a way I can infuse that into other aspects of my life and starting to look at things from a really holistic standpoint with you in the center? Mm. I love that. And one question I want to ask you, because you, in, in all the conversations I've had, you're so positive, you come across so happy. And we've talked about the struggles with mental health. We've talked about the shame. Do you ever find yourself sliding back into those sticky floors? Yes. And how do you break free from that again? Yeah, it's not easy. I think it will be, for me anyway, I can't speak for anybody else's mental health journey, especially, but for me, I think it will be a lifelong uh, I was going to say opportunity, but that really feels Pollyanna. I think it'll be a lifelong struggle. (laughs) I think that part of the key for me is getting ahead of it. So continually tuning in and, and making it a priority to be aware of how am I feeling? How am I responding? Um, is what I normally do helping me? Or do I need something more or different? And if it's more or different, what's the team that I can call on for that support? So to your point earlier about having a community, like knowing in your community who is good and able to do what and, and willing to, right? There's a, a willingness to. And, and so you know, being prepared and it may be, you know, as, as specific as a list, or it may just be, you know, in the back of your mind, I know I call on this particular person for this. I know I seek help for this particular thing from that person. Um, and being clear about who in your network can support you. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, Meg, if somebody wanted to learn more about Reiki and about what you do, and if they are feeling burned out, how can they find you? How can they work with you? Yeah, my heart is open for you, friends. And for sure, you are not alone if you're experiencing this. And I know that you know, each of our journeys is really unique. And at the same time, we're not the only ones. So you're not on an island. I'm here for you. Um, the best place to start is my website. And that's my name, MegBurtonTudman.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Amazing. But I cannot let you go without asking this one question. And it's my favorite one to ask. Yeah. If you could go back to the Meg who was let go from her job, who was struggling with her mental health, what is the one piece of advice that you would give her today? 
Oh, I love this question. And I love it. I'll answer in a second. But I think in the spirit of our conversation, I love looking at it from a point of like curiosity and compassion again, instead of judgment. So it's not like, oh, what should I have done when I was in you know that particular situation? But more based on everything I've learned and how I've grown, what would have been helpful to that version of me? Um, I think that the most helpful advice for both of those situations was to give myself permission to be authentic, to show up as I truly was, to like drop the perfectionism, to drop the masks, and to really just show up as me. Mm. So powerful. And I will just compound on that, that when you allow others to see who you truly are, they can step in and help you when you're struggling. They can. They absolutely can. Yeah. Well, Meg, thank you so much for being here. I absolutely loved having you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Erica. This was such a joy. Meg's journey through separating herself and her worth from her work was so inspiring. And as someone who might be considered a workaholic to others it resonates with me and I hope it resonates with you too. And if you take nothing else from this episode, I hope that you take that throughout the struggles, if you are feeling any kind of anxiety or depression or mental health issues, you are not alone. Meg's right there with you. I'm right there with you. Heck, we're all right there with you. So please make sure that you are always taking care of yourself, especially during these crazy holiday seasons. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go rate, review, and subscribe as it truly helps it land in the hand of the woman that needs to hear it the most.